co-host Don Taylor. And today we are talking to the amazing Jenny Rice. So I'm going to just turn this right over to you. We're not even going to do our main intro because Jenny requested I not. So let's turn this right over to you. How are you doing today, Jenny? I'm fantastic. And honestly, Don, thank you for having me on the show because I'm going to play a little trick on you today. I'm turning the tables and I am a fellow podcast host and I am going to host you today on your show and put you in that seat. (laughs) Okay, this is awesome. Yeah, so there it is, friend. I'm sorry, but it's your turn to be on the hot seat. You're hilarious. Okay, so people have been asking me forever to be on my own podcast and to talk about a big thing that's been going on in my life over this last year, two years. And Jenny and I talked about it. And yeah, so surprise on me. I guess I am... <laughs> I guess I'm talking about this right because then you can't prepare and overthink. As always, like you love to do, have a really deep, candid conversation and talk about the things. So if I gave you time to plan and prepare, you might have planned and prepared. So it's like, no, we're just gonna. I'm gonna be on your show. I want to be interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> you are hilarious. I'm just going to say to you listeners out there that are loving this in the moment, I am so excited. I'm going to make sure that Dawn lets me do this more than once. So this might be the first time I get to surprise her, but in the future, she's going to know, but we're still going to pretend that she doesn't know that it's coming in the future because um, yeah, we want to hear how Dawn made it. I want to talk to you, Dawn, a little bit. I want to dig in a bit. Uh, I love your book. For those of you that don't know that might be listening right now, Dawn has an incredible book that she's written about her life's journey. Trust me, not all the stories are in there, but quite a few of them are. And it's called uh, Dawn Taylor, P.S. I Made It. And it is such a deep and powerful insight into who Dawn is. And I am excited to kind of dig into them a little bit deeper if you're open, Dawn. No, I know you already oh. bared your soul in this beautiful book. <laughs> However, I uh, I want to dig a little deeper if you're open. Oh, 100%. You know, I'm always willing to talk about my crazy life. (laughs) I want to jump into for those of you that are going to read the book, we're going to we're going to step into here. It's around page 1665, somewhere in there. But I want to step back into time 1998. Okay, that was a year that you share about a really powerful year in your life in 1998. What happened to you? I had a brain aneurysm three days before my 18th birthday. So April 7th of grade 12. So actually... Really not a prime time to have a brain aneurysm, by the way. No. (laughs) I mean, not that there's ever a good time. But April of grade 12, when you're trying to buy grad dresses and figure out prom and going away to university and college. And my now husband had given me a promise ring two days earlier on our, you know, um, was it two year anniversary of dating? So I'm like madly in love and it's all exciting and had a brain aneurysm. You know, and I want to dial in for a little minute. We're talking about an 18 year old girl right? Who's just kind of tweaking into the whole womanhood vibe that you're talking about. Like you say, these are monumental changes happening in your life. Huge. And bam, you wake up with what could very well be a life-threatening situation. What I loved about that you shared, there was miracles within the chaos from the moment that aneurysm hit. And of course, you guys, you have to read the book. We're not giving you all the deep here. But what I loved is that through all that anguish and pain and fear, let's be real, you don't know what's happening. You share in your book these moments of miracles that happen during this chaotic time. And I'm not going to ask you to recount those miracles, but I would love for you to share what it meant to you writing that, looking back and seeing the miracles for what they were. How has that helped you heal in some of your own experience around developing a brain aneurysm at 18 years old? Oh, my word. Yeah. Well, and in the book, you'll read that there's a lot of stuff that led to it. So I went to the cops on Friday after school to charge my uncle who had sexually abused me a couple years earlier. And 
spent all weekend being screamed at by family and degraded and told that I needed to shut my mouth and hold all the shame and everything else. And it was like Monday. It was the Monday or Tuesday after school. I have a brain aneurysm. And the doctors think it was from all of the stress of everything that was going on in my life because I didn't, I didn't meet any of the requirements, right? Like the quote unquote requirements of what would cause the brain aneurysm. And, you know, when I came out of it, I remember sitting with a brain surgeon and asking questions because I've always been very logical and logistics based. And I started asking questions and he started spouting numbers like, one in 750,000 people survives a brain aneurysm. One in a hundred thousand of those survives without massive defects. There's a 50% chance I'll die of a second one within 10 years. And when I asked about 20 years, he literally looked at me with tears in his eyes and he's like, Don, nobody makes 20 years. Because I was now going to base my whole life on this, right? I'm an 18 year old sitting in a doctor's office, right? Like, yeah. I think that visit, I was even by myself. Like my mom couldn't come with me that time. So I had flown down or driven down to do this. And I remember just sitting there and thinking like, I shouldn't be alive. Like I'm not supposed to be alive. (laughs) It's going to make me teary. So as I was writing the book and even after it happened, I started looking back and asking questions of people in the moment, right? Like where were people when they found out? Where were people when they were dealing with it? my husband is the one who found me and drove me to the hospital and physically fought a doctor to save my life. Like, it's a pretty insane story. But all of these moments kept coming up. And like one of them, for example, is anyone who's listening in Northern BC and Terrace BC is where I lived when this happened. And we lived out in Jack Pine Flats. So we lived out of town, like out in the country, right? And He drove without touching his steering wheel because he was so focused on me down that entire highway into town. And people saw it happening. Like people came to me years later and were like, I literally was following and he never once like, we don't even know how he did it. Like blew through every stop sign, blew through every red light, blew through the four-way stop, like by the bridges, like all of it, like didn't at all even know what was going on and just trying to keep me alive in the passenger seat of his car as I'm passing in another consciousness, like things like that, like these wild moments that became this, like, why am I alive? Why am I here? Cause like being brutally honest at that point in my life, like other than the joy around my relationship, every ounce of me wanted to be dead. Like there was so much darkness at that point in my life that I didn't want to survive it. And I was angry for a lot of years. And that's where the miracle piece of it, and even now looking back over it, and I mean, there's so many. There's and there's like I could have written about 20 more miracles around it, from like finding Medivac to how my parents were found to sign off on paperwork to the fact that I'm even here, to the fact that like this. So when this podcast is when you're listening to this, I have just by a couple days past 25 years, like 25 years and nobody makes 20, right? So like there has to be a different purpose. There has to be a purpose for why I'm here and not just to be a waste of skin, right? And that's so much what's driven me in my life. And I think too, you know, it it provides a different perspective and I'd like to kind of anchor back to being, I want to read something from from your book and and just what you shared about what your doctor said as well about about that 50% and how, you know, most people don't survive this. So you're an 18 year old young lady. And these are these are your words from your book. I felt like such a freak through it all. Most people were friendly to me. I would sit in my wheelchair and they would smile and say hi, but I still felt very alone. And what's really powerful about that is that 25 years later, you're here and you managed to fight through that, through all the things that you've been through. You guys, if you read this book, it's just like, how did this woman handle all of this? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, so what, I, what I would love if you are open is to share what it felt like hearing me read that back to you. Very vulnerable. Hmm. I think, I think I still often feel like that person. 
Hmm. I do. And so one of my big things that has come up over this last year that we were talking about earlier and why, why Jenny wanted to surprise me on this. Maybe I'm wrecking her plans for this, but that's okay. I can flow. Right. Um, <laughs> that belief, that core belief that I would be dead mm-hmm. as of five years ago, like that, I don't even know how to describe how deep that belief was, but also in the loneliness is like, you have to remember that I was 18. I was trying to graduate high school. I was wanting to have kids and get married and going to school. And like this dream that every 18 year old has as to what life is going to look like and their plans and their quirks. And, you know, I don't know an 18 year old that doesn't have all the plans and ideas and dreams and goals and just something. There's something that they want to do with their life. But the change that happens from 18 to even like 25 is mind blowing, is mind blowing. And I felt very held hostage in who I was at 18 prior to the aneurysm. And so I felt like internally I was changing so much but I also like didn't recognize myself. Like I physically didn't know who I was. I would scream if I saw my reflection in a mirror in the middle of the night. And that took years to get over. Like I'm talking like 10, 15 years to get to the point where I could have it not pitch black and I could see my reflection and not lose it because it was a stranger in my house. Like going away to college, I did manage to go for one semester, but I was still too sick from the aneurysm. Like never should have gone four months later. You have met yourself, right? I know, right? (laughs) I know, I know. Like, why is anyone surprised by that? I just can't believe my parents actually let me. Yeah, but you were going to go anyway. Let's do it. I would have figured it out. I would have hitchhiked if I had to. Like, I'm so stubborn. It's hilarious. But even in that, like, I, all my photos, like, I'm taping up photos on the wall of my dorm room and people are like, oh, who's that? She kind of looks like you. And it was like me and my boyfriend and me and my friends and me and my parents and me and my siblings. And I was like, oh, that's me. And people are like, no, because I doubled my body size on steroids and everything was so different. But also this belief that I was going to be dead, it, it is, it held me back. It has held me back for 25 years in relationships because I saw how much that caused so many people around me so much pain when I had the aneurysm. And I thought I can't be this close to people and have them be hurt even more Mm -hmm. if I die or if I have a second one. So subconsciously and partially consciously, I pulled back. Mm -hmm. I've pulled back on so many of my relationships of my life and not allowed people close, just kind of been like, you know, my little lone wolf over here and done life alone because I was trying to protect the people around me from D-Day, like from this infamous death day in my head. And it's only when the 20 year mark hit that it felt like I went through a complete mental breakdown, almost emotionally, like in internally again, because I never share. Right. But like internally, because I was like, wait, I'm not dead. There isn't anything in my vision of my life past 38 or 40 there is no plan. There is no dream. There isn't what adult relationships look like. And so having to try to like figure that out. So it's interesting to hear my words because it's been, you know, four years since I wrote them to think, wow, it's probably just in this last year that I've stopped feeling quite that alone, which is really wild. Like I still feel that I feel that all the time still. And that's, it's interesting to hear it. Well, and I want to touch into Again, you know, this is indirectly and and I think I want to highlight this for those that are listening as well as I want to bring attention to it for myself, for anybody that's connected with somebody going through different stages in their lives. We forget that our words have impact sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? They can have lasting impact and put unforeseen barriers on people, you know, like you described on page 71, He said there was a 50% chance I would die of a second brain aneurysm within 10 years that nobody makes it to 20. And I know you shared that just a few minutes ago, but I want to highlight this for the reason being that those words has held you hostage in your belief system. 100%. And unintentional, of course, it is that person's job to give you the facts and the reality of 
what's what's potential. But I think what's really important that we talk about and bring light to is, and I appreciate you sharing that, is how it curved and changed your trajectory in your life and the relationships that you had. Yeah. Oh, everything. Like every area of my entire life is different because of those words. And hear me when I say this, I freaking love that doctor. Oh yeah. This is not a doctor bashing situation by any Not even remotely. Like I fought him to know those numbers. I remember sitting in his office and crying and begging him to tell me the statistics because I also grew up always feeling like an inconvenience. Like my entire life, I felt like an inconvenience to people. And that was actually one of the main reasons why I needed to know is how do I marry this man if he has to deal with me potentially being dead in 10 years? That's not fair. So he should have the option to walk away now, find a healthy wife and go on to have kids and live life and do what he needs to do, right? How do I, you know, start a business? How do I do any of these things? Like, how do you do any of those things if you don't have what your legacy plan is going to be behind it? Like, I don't even know how to describe how essentially deep those words went. Mm-hmm. Like fundamental core of my being believed that. When your example is such a polarized example, but as leaders, as people, as parents, as, you know, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, whatever we are, anytime we're in connection with someone, I really just want to highlight the importance of the words we use and how we use them. Totally. Because we're imprinting something on somebody, even if our intention is good, it can create a glass ceiling. You had your glass ceiling, girl. Oh, handed to me at 18. Yeah. And that, that again is life altering. And I, I, I congratulate you in obviously celebrating that you kicked the statistics ass. Thank you very (laughs) much. Yes, I did. (laughs) In a major way. In a major, major way. And, you know, I want to stay in this vulnerable piece for a few more minutes if we could just. Yeah, for sure. Because I think it's important for people to see again. I want to be very clear. You had an illness and situation that nobody could see. Yeah. Other than, of course, when you were bound to your wheelchair, etc. But in your normal life, you look fine. Totally. People don't know. And I want to tap into weight loss and weight gain for just Let's a minute. Do it. <laughs> Only reason being because it's a topic that like it, it plagues people. It plagues everybody. 100%. And we're talking about a young woman here who's just like basically fought for her life. And then your your brain's like, I'm sorry, due to the medication that you're on, you get to gain all this extra weight. Like oh. that's, that's fun. Let's not only just gain the weight, let's go through puberty for a second time, Whoa. right down to the raging hormones that all of it, all of that it. That is like that horrible. That was super fun. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read this sentence here because this, this can be jaw dropping for somebody. I mean, I can't even imagine the strain on your body. Thanks to all the steroids I was on during and after my hospital stay, my body ballooned by 40 pounds in two weeks. That's like, can you imagine? Like, no, you can. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I can. I, I, you know, I'm trying to picture picking up two huge bags of dog food and carrying them around all day long unexpectedly and literally from like laying in a hospital bed yeah and the first time you stand up out of a hospital bed you can't even figure out your own like balance because your weight has shifted so hard well and this is the thing and i want to add this too over the next few months you gained an additional up to over 80 plus pounds so your whole world has changed. And then you're dealing with, like you said, sitting in the wheelchair, feeling like you don't know who you are. And then you're being questioned about your weight, or you're questioning, you're an 18 year old girl who doesn't even look like herself. And you shared that. And I wanted to highlight this because this is the reason why people didn't recognize you in your photos. Yeah. And you deal with all the, all the actual feedback that comes from excessive weight gain oh but even currently 
I was going to say, so this is the thing that's fascinating that people don't see. You're still dealing with this exact situation, yet people just assume. I just must eat a lot of donuts. Oh, wouldn't that be great? (laughs) No, but it's, but it is, it's legitimately a thing I still have to deal with to this day of like people just assume I'm unhealthy. They just assume that I eat garbage. They just assume that I am that person and they have no idea. And it's interesting that society has, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of very unhealthy people that just eat a lot of junk and don't try, but like my inner circle will laugh that yes, I definitely order French fries once in a while, but I'm sorry, ordering French fries like every other week is not an issue when the majority of my life is actually full of sugar, dairy, gluten-free, healthy IV therapy treatments and supplements. And right. Like a friend came over literally this morning and I was making him drink celery juice with me and he was laughing at me. And he's like, is this why you don't age is because you're always like (laughs) doing weird stuff. And I said, I said, but the difference is like, I have fought to stay alive for 25 years. Like I have fought for my health for 25 years but no, I still battle it to this day. I have, I still deal with brain aneurysm aftermath to this day. Well, and I, I don't highlight that to bring sadness forward. I highlight it to remind people are struggling for with things we don't see. So I invite people to give grace and understanding till you literally walk in someone's shoes. You have no idea what people are going through. Offer kindness, offer love, offer compassion. We never know how somebody got where they got or why they're there. You know, I had a really hilarious moment and it's, it is, it's so true. Thank you for bringing that up. It's, I had a really funny moment last fall. I was in Vancouver and went with a friend to Victoria and we went to the upgrade labs there and they do this test that can tell you your cellular health. And it goes through like, your trunk and your left arm and your right arm and your left leg and your right like it goes to all the areas of your body and it's like this is how much water and this is how much muscle and this is how much fat and this is your optimum healthy weight and all these things and the girl I'm with is like like eight pack abs minimum ripped works out all the time like so healthy and the whole facility is full of people like this right and I walk in at you know 240 pounds doing my thing you see booty right i know and i walk in and it was so funny because we did this test and i had healthier cells than all of them like at a cellular level i was healthier than all of them and they were all shook by it and they're like what and i said never judge a book by its cover you have no idea that's a mic drop right there well, they were like, oh, and then they did the test again because they're like, well, maybe, you know, it wasn't calibrated right. And no, I work very hard to be healthy, even if it doesn't show up on my, on this scale. Like kills a devil, just saying. <laughs> oh, well, and especially from a girl who had eating disorders, like I had really, really severe long-term eating disorders in high school. So like I had an eating disorder when I had the brain aneurysm. So to go from like one extreme to the next was so insane. Like that was crazy. That was absolutely nuts. Well, and again, you know, you share on page 78, loss of identity, redefining who you are. So let's dig into some fun stuff here. <laughs> okay. who, who is Don Taylor? <laughs> like if you think about Don Taylor now, tell me who she is. Who is she? Who am I now? Crazy, feisty, calm, stubborn, motivated, driven, lazy. I'm like this weird dichotomy of words. I love it. Loving, caring. Like I love people so, so hard, but in the most unconventional ways. I love that. But that's what we're talking about too. Like, you know, we get to peel back the layers nowadays and do it differently. We don't have to follow the form and the... so curious you're sitting beside you beside your doctor and you are now what are you saying to 18 old you who's just come through this horrific experience on the other side 
and finding out what is the next phase, what would you share with her? You know, the biggest is I was always so stubborn. Like the amount of things that I overcame from birth to end to aneurysm. Like I had more resilience in my pinky finger than I think most people will in a lifetime because of every single thing I'd gone through, right? From like rejection of a mom who tried to miscarry me her whole pregnancy, right? Like it was literally rejection and inconvenience from conception. And something in me broke. When I look back at it now, past the 20 year mark, something Mm -hmm. in me broke that weekend of going to the cops and talking and feeling like I wasn't believed and I wasn't seen and all of those things. And I find it really interesting that the brain aneurysm happened right then because I've always been curious or in the last few years, I've been really curious, like had the brain aneurysm happened at any other point, would I have been that snarky, feisty, mouthy little shithead, to be honest? It was like, yeah, challenge accepted, jerk. Like that would have been me, right? Like that would have been me because that was me through everything else I dealt with. I was that kid. I was that teenager that would stare you down and walk right into you. Like wouldn't even bat an eye. And so just like the timing of it is really interesting to my brain. But that's where I'd go back and be like, seriously? Like... You're actually going to listen to this? But not only that, it would have been like, yeah, cool. Okay, so how are we going to make this like the most amazing 10 years or 20 years of your life? Mm -hmm. It would have been that and a, a giant like cling to the people that are actually sticking around. Mm. Release the people that couldn't. And I don't say that that didn't, it's couldn't. I can't imagine what it would have been like being my friend at that point where our main activities are going shopping at the mall or hanging out at the movies or the lake or giggling about boyfriends or going skiing. And all of a sudden I'm in a wheelchair and I can't do anything the same. Mm. That takes a hell of a lot as an adult to stand by a friend when they're going through an injury or an illness like that. And a few pieces to that. Number one, what 18 year old has the emotional intelligence to be able to do that? Not very many. And I spent so long, so hurt by the abandonment of those people and the rejection of those people to just actually love them where they're at and be like, not everyone has the capacity to handle a health issue or the emotional intelligence to know even how to step up in this way. And I'm talking from like, a cousin who didn't want to go into town with me because he was embarrassed by my fat. Like I'm talking like I've had some crazy stuff happen because of the aneurysm in the background and just giving more grace in that, but also releasing them to be like, you know what? That's okay. You don't need to be my person. Mm -hmm. Like that can shift that can shift post aneurysm, but also to like fight to the death for myself. Like it took a lot of years. And part of it was, I mean, I lived in a small town in Northern BC and I was also 18. So we listened to what our parents are saying or when we ask for advice from a doctor or things like that, right? We listen and we just take it at face value and go, oh, okay, they must be right. But to be able to instill in that 18-year-old, like there's so much more than what these doctors are saying. Yeah, your own advocacy. You don't know at 18, you can shout from the rooftop. No, and you have no idea at 18 that there's a whole world outside of your medical system in your small town. Mm-hmm. That there's other doctors that if you don't like what one says, you can be like, yeah, that's nice and go find another one. that will give you a different or better or worse or whatever opinion. But that that was part of my role and responsibility in it. That I wish that's what I would go back and I would tell that person. And I think that's something that even now I'll help friends with is when they get a doctor's, you know, I had a friend recently that she was dealing with like needing a colonoscopy and I was like, so pay for it. And she's like, what? And I'm like, the amount of emotional stress this is causing you waiting for the six months or eight months to be able to get that test. I said, it's going to kill you. And I said, watch. And I just like sat down and I literally phoned. I sat on hold. I did what needed to be done. And I phoned clinic after clinic after clinic until one would let her pay cash and go in and get it done like within a week. 
And she's like, how the hell did you even know to do that? And I was like, because I've learned how to be a medical advocate for myself and my spouse. Mm -hmm. I've had to, I haven't had a choice, but man, to have learned that at 18, I would be so much further ahead (laughs) than I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I always, I always find it fascinating, you know, the wisdom that we have for our younger self, right? You know, and I, I want to thank the younger Dawn for having the tenacity to fight, you know, and to, to step in the ring over and over and over again. And yeah. this has led you to your passion and your life's work. Yeah. Really, if you think about it. Yeah, it totally has. And, you know, it's opened a doorway for you to help other people heal in different ways, which is such a rewarding, I know what you do. And I know you love what you do and your clients are your, my everything (laughs) is your your reward, right? So totally. I love you have a chapter in your book that call that says health issues are assholes. (laughs) Okay, so my chapter titles are hilarious. They're the best. Honestly, you guys, if you don't even read the book and just read the chapter titles, entertained. My favorite is who needs ovaries when you can have a drug addiction. That that was probably my favorite. I just had like, I was feeling really feisty one day when I was naming my chapters as a joke. Like those are my working titles. And then in the end, in the end, I was like, oh no, we're keeping that. Those are entertaining for me too. And I want to share actually for everybody that's listening, Dawn has dropped a ton of nuggets about her history, her, her life story. Do not think that I'm letting those slide by and we're never going to dig into them. But this episode would be about six hours long if I tackled all of these um, stories that Dawn has shared. So do know. We'll come back. Yeah, we will be coming back and I will be tapping into, you know, pre 18. I will be tapping into post 18 and digging on into all of that. So don't think I didn't hear her share the spill the beans. Don't worry. We're, we, we got you covered. You're just gonna have to come back and listen. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to show up. Right. As we get close to the, you know, closing out our time together, I really want to dig into what life looks like now. So now we know you have hit you've passed the finish line, friend. Oh, lived through D-Day. You've blown the roof off D-Day. So D-Day doesn't exist anymore. Right. What does that mean for you? What's What does that mean not only for you, but to you? So 40 was like the date in my head. It wasn't even year 20 so much as it was 40 years old. That was always like the easy like number of... My husband and I both had had enough health issues that we both always were like, man, if we ever make 40, like that'll be a big deal. <laughs> That's like the going joke, right? That was like the going joke, right? Like for, well, for 24 years, that was the going joke was like, man, if we make 40, we're throwing a party. And it's funny because we actually planned a huge party that year for the month before we turned 40, because neither of us actually, like, I truly didn't actually think we'd make 40. So I was like, what a great way to go out. Like, it's like a pre-funeral. <laughs> I know how bad this sounds, but that was literally what it was. Yeah. But if this is what you're thinking, people think this, and I love that you just share it because people that are going through either a diagnosis or a doomsday of some, some type of their own, Literally, they do, and no one talks about it. Hence, like this whole podcast, this whole podcast is like these conversations, right? Right. And so, yeah, we planned this massive party and this whole like we were actually doing a surprise valor renewal, and no one really knew about that. Like there was like all of the stuff going down because it was also like big anniversary dates, and all of it got canceled because of COVID. Mm. And I remember sitting on my driveway beginning of April, right? Like literally, mm-hmm. what, three years ago today that you're listening to this because this episode's coming out on my birthday. Literally sitting there and we had all these like chairs, you know, six feet apart and it's cold out because it's April 10th in Edmonton. And people came over to like, wish me happy birthday and just like hang out and like sit and visit. And no one had really seen anyone for about six weeks at that point. And and we're sitting there and I was like, this is so anticlimactic, right? Like, like I, I should be dead. And I'm just like <laughs> sitting on my driveway talking to people. 
right? Like it was just this is so random. <laughs> this is so random. Like it just felt so wrong. But I also like that morning when I woke up was like, shit, I'm alive. Like, huh? Okay. Maybe it'll happen later today. Mm, yeah, the doomsday clock, right? Right? Like the doomsday clock. Like when I say D-Day, like there was literally like a clock going at all times in my head. And like I took April 7th off every single year from work up until last year. Because that's the day I was going to die and I didn't want it to be with clients. Or while I was at work, I wanted to die at home in my own bed. Like literally, like, like, what are you doing? What are you doing April 7th this year? I don't know, but we should plan something, right? But like, <laughs> but that was a thing. Like that was a thing that I would yeah. do because that, like, that was just where my headspace was. And so as COVID kept going that year, like all of a sudden I was like, I'm going to take a giant chance. I'm going to fulfill my lifelong bucket list item dreams. And all of a sudden, like in the middle of COVID, I'm opening a trauma healing center in like 20 hours away from where I live. And I'm like, sure. But then like, because there's still health issues from the aneurysm, right? Then I end up getting sick and I couldn't do it. And I had to shut it down after a year. And, you know, just like all of these stupid little things. But all of a sudden I came back and I became obsessed with doing medical testing. So I paid for more random blood work and had it shipped out to the States or shipped out to Europe or shipped out to private labs. And I worked with my nature pastor to the point where he was finally like, would you just stop? Like you've now paid, I'm talking thousands of dollars for all of this. Like at one point I had to like, had these like little strips of paper and I had to like pee like all these times throughout a day, but like 20 minutes before this and half an hour after this. And like, write the info on it, but then they have to sit out and dry. And my husband was like, there's literally like 30 strips of pee sitting around our house right now. Can you please deal with this? Like, I'm talking crazy shit. Like I was doing all the things. And I went to my medical doctor and I went for like an EKG and I had x-rays and ultrasounds and all the blood work he could order. And I was trying to find proof that I was still dying. Hmm. And that was probably the most fucked up, excuse my language, but not feeling on the planet was as all the tests came back perfect. I'm talking like vitamins, minerals, nutrients, my cortisol level was perfect. My sugar levels were perfect. My blood pressure is abnormally perfect. Like all the work I've done to just stay alive for those 20 years had panned out. And there was this weird, I don't even know how to word it. It was almost like disappointment. Yeah. It was this weird disappointment because it was like, no, 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 but it's supposed to be done. It's supposed to be done. So this, like, I've never planned business past the age of 40. So when they would talk like goal setting and like, what do you want your business to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Like, um, we've never talked retirement. That wasn't even a thought. Like, that wasn't even a thought. So all of a sudden, like, my husband and I are sitting in the backyard going, so what do people do for retirement? What kind of money do we need? Right. Yeah. Because this has never been an option. This has never been an option. Where like I'm still call I call people all the time. What are your retirement plans? They're like, "What?" I'm like, "What are you planning?" Like, are you going to do the Arizona? Like, are you going to snowbird all winter? Are you going to buy a lake lot? Are you going to just like move into seniors living in your small town? Are you going to move in with your kids? Are you running away? <laughs> like, what, what does this mean to you? Well, now I know why you were so curious what my plan will be one day. <laughs> totally, because I'm asking everybody because there was never... It was like if you've never tasted a spice mm -hmm. or a herb, and then you walk into a spice market and all of a sudden they're like, okay, buy spices. And you're like, what the actual, like, I don't even know where to start. I'm talking like right down to like, should we own a house? Should we? What does this look like? We should pay off some medical debt because it's not going to disappear when we die of 40 and be covered by our life insurance. Right. It, it changes your planning everything or right there is planning i guess that's the the flip side there's actually planning <laughs> right? we actually have to plan stuff now but it also shifts like hey what are the relationships we want to build with people 
Mm, that's beautiful. There's a desire for community that I've never had. How freeing and how hard? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry. No, but seriously, like, one breath is like, yes. And then the next breath, you're like, oh, this seems like a job. <laughs> it's so much. It's actually been incredibly overwhelming. Mm. And I know without telling my husband's story, he might even be listening to this. Hi, babe. He also thought because of his own health stuff, he was told he didn't have long to live. Mm. So it wasn't just me. Like we collectively as a couple thought we were done by 40. Well, it sounds like it was a part of the plan. <laughs> it was hundred percent a part of the plan. So all of a sudden it was like, oh, we need to like redo the will and we need to redo the paperwork and we need to, we need to shift all of these things. Like I might be the only person I know at my age that has my entire funerals planned. There's literally like, do you want to know how funny this is? Not only is it planned, it is like documented right down to like, these are the people that are going to walk through the house and they can take a piece of art or a set of Lego or something that means something to them. This is how to find my clients in my phone. This is how you contact this. There is a job letter for you for a current future job if you need it. I love it. Literally, there is a job letter to whom it may concern regarding Jenny Rice. Like, it is that deep. The caterers, where the flowers are going to come from, I had to shift it this last year because one of the florists shut down her practice. Well, that was inconvenient. I know, right? <laughs> but like, like it, it, it has been so big. It has been such a big thing. And... I do find it interesting how nobody has ever talked to us about it. Yeah. I how think no parent, no therapist, friends, family, knowing that this was the numbers, knowing that this was the belief, knowing this about us, that no one's ever questioned it. I found I find that really interesting now. Denial is a powerful thing, right? Oh, 100%. And it's other people's fears around us dying as well, right? But yeah, no, I think it's life now is interesting. I am, I'm like fighting the health even stronger. I now am doing all these like, who knew? Right. I'm now like doing like heavy metal detox cleanses and I'm starting some like football treadmill cutting thing on Wednesday. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But I'm also like starting guitar lessons next week because I want to learn how to play guitar now. And mm. we're starting to have these conversations about like, do we want to travel? Where do we want to live? What kind of, like we just purchased a vehicle instead of leasing because we're like, wait, we're actually going to be around for a while. So this is easier than them having to hand back a car for a lease. Oh yeah. Well, it, it, again, I think what's so beautiful and what you're sharing about is you're shifting from having this unknown like expiry date that kind of felt very final, you know, like all of us come with an expiry date. We just, none of us know when it is. And you two thought it was 40. And now you're living in this, this new way of being almost like a childlike curiosity. Like, Hey, wait oh, a minute. Totally. And it feels that way. It feels like this weird childish curiosity. And even in like, now I'm like, whoa, what do I want my legacy to be? What do I want my at my adult years, I call them, yeah. to be? Because it's like the pre-D-Day, post-D-Day kind of feel. Mm. But I now also wake up every day thinking like, I'm alive. Like, <laughs> and I whisper that almost every single morning when I wake up. I'm like, I'm alive. But it's shifting, it's shifting even like working with like who I'm working with and what I'm doing. This podcast came out of this, you know, all of these things. Cause I was like, man, how many people deal with this when they have the cancer diagnosis or they have all these things that go down and you're told like there's all these chances of remission and I get it. Does it still make me nervous? Yes. Do I still do things in terms of like my IV treatments and things that I'm doing to strengthen like artery health and all of those things to hopefully not have a second one anytime soon? 
yes, will it potentially take me out at some point soon or at some point in my life? Who knows? I've beat all the statistics so far, but I refuse to let it determine my daily behaviors and actions anymore. Mm -hmm. Can you repeat that for me? I refuse to let it determine and dictate my daily actions anymore. I don't know who needs to hear that, but if you're listening right now and that hits you in the gut, your heart, you have chills going from your toes to the top of your skull, that is a powerful, powerful awareness. It releases the shackles. It allows your wings to shake free and put air within them. It gives you a chance to rise up and be who you were meant to be. And no apologies, right? None. None. I love it. So we're getting close to needing to sign off. Like I said, this episode could go for seven days. And <laughs> never Maybe finish. we should just like quarterly. Let's like quarterly. Right? Let's just, yeah, we're going to keep dropping these. So don't worry. If you guys are loving this, we're going to keep dropping these. What I would really like to make sure in regards to this conversation, because there'll be other ones. Is there something you wish I asked you that I haven't asked you? You know what someone asked me the other day is if you could go back and take one thing away out of your life. Like if you could go back and change that day of having the aneurysm mm -hmm. and stop that, would you? And you know what's interesting is I bounce back and forth with it. There's, I know the, the correct answer is absolutely not. It's taught me so much. It's brought me so much. Like it's been so amazing. But with that, that's an interesting one for my brain is would I go back and not have the aneurysm? And I don't, and it's, I used to always say never because everything I've gone through has brought me to this point and gifted me something. And, and it's, it's an interesting shift that's happening in me right now where I'm like, I don't know. I think that's the one. If I could like, yeah, if I could do the thing, if I could go back and delete one thing from my past, like I'll deal with like the, I'll deal with all the rest of it. But if I could get rid of the aneurysm and I can't honestly say, I don't know. And that's an interesting one for me right now that that piece is shifting. There's an interesting grieving process that's having to happen right now mm -hmm. around what do you mean I have to work for another 20 years? I should be done. Right. There's a whole, there's a whole other life waiting for you. What do you mean I have to actually like live more or I have to deal with aging parents or I have to build relationships now, like build closer relationships and try to find a community in my forties that most people have built way before. And you know, like there's, there's all these pieces that are really, really interesting in my head that I feel like I'm almost having to grieve right now mm -hmm. in a weird way, like with the gift of a whole second life, literally a whole second life, right? Like, cause I'm going to live to 118. I decided that's my number. Sweet. I'm going to make it happen. Cause Hey, I've <laughs> overcome this statistic. Why not? Cells, so you're on the right track. I know I got real good cellular health. <laughs> so you just never know. But yeah, that is that is an interesting thing, and I don't always know how to explain it to people when I don't react the way that they expect me to or need me to, or I don't respond the same way, or I don't think the same way. And I think a lot of it is that I'm not as complicated as people might think. I'm actually really simple and basic in a lot of ways. It's like, I'm not dramatic and I don't, I I don't want to fight with people and I don't want to argue with people. And I don't want to like, like, I'm actually really incredibly simple in a lot of those things. And so much of that is from the fact that I've overcome a lot. So final thoughts, when we, you know, when we think about what we've shared today, what would you love to leave our listeners with? We've all had something that's gone on in our lives. We've all had something that has taken something from us, but we also all have things that we've allowed to die because of it. So figure out who you were prior to that death, who you were prior to that trauma moment or that moment that took something and figure out how to get those things back again. 
Because I think from a place of preservation, we allow parts of us to die. And sometimes it's all about finding those so we can live again. Mm, Amen. It's that who I was before and who I am now moment. Yeah. And then how to intermingle them, how to intertwine them, which is one of my big goals this year is I'm finding things that I loved pre-aneurysm and bringing those back in some way, shape or form. I love it. Thank you, Dawn, for allowing me to hijack our time together and turn the tables on you and for being such a good sport and being completely authentically vulnerable. I appreciate you greatly for your story, but also for you as a human being and as an example of what's possible if we are resilient and persevere and reinvent. So thank you so much for the listeners. Dig into what Dawn said. If any of this resonates with you, do not hesitate to reach out if you need support. Dawn is amazing at it, but ask anybody for support. Don't do this alone. You do not have to do this alone. So thank you, Dawn, for having me on your show. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I'm going to pass it back to you. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I don't know what to say now. How do I like... So thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Yeah, but thanks, no. Jenny, for being on the show. <laughs> right? Thanks, Jenny, for hijacking my podcast today. You're hilarious. And <laughs> seriously, I'm I'm honored. I'm honored to share a small piece of my story, but something that I'm in the middle of right now. That I'm really in the middle of and digging, digging through the rubble of it as we speak. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Join us again in two weeks <laughs> for for an actual episode that's not me but also check out the show notes like located at the taylorway.ca for more information for all the contact information all of that fun stuff but also we're gonna post some before and after photos and a few things i even have some hospital photos they might be a little graphic but i do if you are curious what I went through and what that was and some links of where to find the book. If you want one that was signed, you can contact me directly and I will actually hand write in it and write you a personal note as well and mail that out to you. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And yeah, let me know what you thought of the show. See you guys in a couple weeks.